0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: With that time in the field, you're able to analyze, like, where's that wind coming from? Where's it going? When's it switching? And then you can make a game plan. In this cap... Started like, and I called to it back. It literally ran up and like wanted in my backpack. Enjoying the ride is 95 to 99% of the battle. My truck breaks down and I'm 60 miles from town. Long story short, it blows up and I'm truckless. The thing about goals though is like, if you hit all of them, like you're probably not setting good enough goals. And that's one of the things I think I realized about the whole season in general is like, Phew. You got to put a lot of faith in the process. This is Jaden Bales, and you're listening to the Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on
0: your boots.
2: Our culture needs people that are leaders and not people that are waiting for somebody else to show them how to do it.
0: Those fields of tofu, that was formerly habitat for wildlife. You're killing off wildlife by being a vegetarian just as much as a hunter when he kills a deer.
2: I'm like, well, you see that
0: bush right there? <laughs> There's your bathroom. Yeah. My dad wears a Levi jacket. He sits in front of a sagebrush, and he tells me the best camo is hold still. Not to Donnie Vincent this, but be relentless in everything you do. Don't crap out. Go back to the truck with excuses or whatever. Okay,
2: assume I get a deer. How do I cut it up to fit into a Honda Civic? Just get outside. Just get outside and
1: go, because once you do, it's all gravy from there.
0: Hey, this is Zach Griffith.
1: This is Hannah Barron.
0: This is Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls. Hey,
1: guys. This is Cody Rich from the Rich Outdoors podcast. What's
0: up, guys? This is Chad Mendez. You're listening to The Wild Initiative.
2: Hey, y'all. Welcome to episode 127 of The Wild Initiative. Before we get started, I want to say a big thank you to Sawyer Products for their continued support of the podcast. Y'all make sure you head on over to sawyer.com. Check out the absolute best when it comes to water filtration, insect repellent, sunscreen, and first aid. They've been doing this for a long, long time, folks. Their products are absolutely bulletproof, and I use them on effectively every single one of my hunts. So make sure to go grab that essential gear that will keep you in the outdoors for longer. So y'all, today on the podcast, I am here with Jaden Bales. I met uh, Jaden through Mr. Cody Rich, who y'all have heard from on the podcast before. Uh, Jaden works with Cody, helps him out a lot on uh, the Rich Outdoors and uh, Backcountry Fuel Box. And really glad to have him on. Uh, Jaden, thanks for
1: joining me. Yeah, Sam. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it.
2: So uh, just to get started, why don't you give uh, the listeners kind of an intro just about yourself and how you were really originally introduced to the outdoors, how you got into all of this.
1: Yeah, you bet. So I grew up on a family farm in Northeast Oregon. um, Kind of as a result of that rural life, I've kind of always been in the outdoors, You know, both my, you know, my grandparents uh, all hunted and my dad taught me how to hunt from a pretty dang early age. I'm pretty sure he put me in a backpack when we were turkey hunting to kind (laughs) of get me started. So um, I've been in the outdoors a lot um, and uh, now I'm kind of working in the outdoor industry here uh, with, like you said, Cody Rich of the Rich Outdoors podcast and Backcountry Fuel Box. I kind of, after college did that whole thing where you're trying to figure out, you know, where it might be best for you to land. And then I uh realized corporate life probably wasn't the life for me. So I realized, <laughs> uh you know decided to maybe take a little foray into the outdoor space um and uh hit up Cody and when he launched back into your fuel box and and uh that kind of brings me here. So uh
2: I mean since since we're talking about it, uh, what what all do you do kind of with uh, with Cody on Backcountry Fuel Box?
1: Yeah, so my role with Backcountry Fuel is uh, kind of as like the operations dude. Uh, I do a lot of marketing and, and product acquisition. So we put all of the the products, and I find them and put them in the box, like uh, weird stuff from crickets to the normal like kind of mountain house and clip bar type things. Um, and it's, it's really fun. Actually, I've gotten really deep down that rabbit hole, um, (laughs) both from a nutrition and a performance perspective, as well as like just trying to find new kind of weird, quirky stuff. So, um, it's pretty sweet. Uh, if anyone did want to check it out, we're running a sweet holiday sale right now. Um, so if you head over to backcountry fuel box, you can check that out.
2: Awesome. Well, head on over to backcountry fuel box, check that out. But, uh, so you recently, you know, Cody had shot over some stuff to me uh, not too long ago about uh, he kind of put together an elk two hundred one course, yep. and you know I was I was reviewing that and uh, you actually kind of went through that and you really got to put that to use this year didn't you?
1: Oh yeah, so so how the two hundred one elk hunting course came about was. Like, uh, I was working remotely for Cody at the time and I'd get on the phone with him to talk about work related stuff. And somehow we'd end up both looking at Onyx trying to run through hunt plans for this fall. (laughs) And I was like, Cody, I just, I'm trying to, you know, my goal was 2019 was the year of the elk. Uh, I was going to get my first elk with Mo and, uh, and then Cody and I would have one and two and three hour long conversations about what that actually looked like and how that would come to fruition. And then um, we worked together to build this kind of 201 level hunter podcast. And, and then we did like a little email mini course on it, trying to like organize our thoughts in a way or his thoughts in a way that would be easily digestible for folks. Um, and as a result, I implemented kind of that 201 process this year um, and not to give away the spoiler gotten no. out. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was a long road to hold, though. I mean, I like I said, I grew up hunting. I've been around elk. I've been around deer, um, and I've been outdoors my whole life. But uh, it took me five years. Um, I just wrote it down. Five years of hunting elk, over 500 boot miles, countless gas you know tanks, and then uh, five misses to actually arrow and elk. So um, it felt like a long time coming. And kind of implementing some of this stuff uh, is really what. It, I think resulted in uh, a full freezer, which was also just a huge relief. As I'm sure um, I've I've heard your podcast before, it's it's coming for you, man.
2: It's you know, like you said that it that whole process really speaks to me because you know it's been year after year and uh, trying to trying to get into elk, trying to trying to figure this thing out, and you know this is my. My third elk season, and you know I look back and I see huge improvements you know the first the first uh year was a disaster to the point of almost being a joke, and then you know last year was you know I was out with a buddy and and it was just we just had no luck you know we we saw some elk we weren't able to get into anything we were just in a bad spot, and then this year, I was a little worried, you know I started out and uh I just wasn't, wasn't seeing stuff. I actually, you know, Cody was kind enough to send me a couple tips on some spots and, and Ryan and uh, Ryan Lampers uh, gave me some tips. Brian Barney gave me some tips. So I'm thinking like between the three of these guys, if I can't find some damn (laughs) elk, I I, I'm hopeless. Um, But you know, then this year I just, I, I finally started getting into them and you know, you see that, that growth each year. um, Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a huge process and, you know, it's always frustrating when you're not filling tags, but it's, you yeah. know, it's so important to look, also look at that though, and and recognize your growth each year. And while you may not be filling tags, you're definitely having a very successful year regardless, you know?
1: Oh man. And I think, you know, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself this year. Um, just because I was, you know, saying this is the year of the elk and it's got to happen. But in all honesty, like, any day spent out in the woods chasing elk during September is a good day. Like, and I wouldn't rather be anywhere else, you know? Um, so whether or not you fill a tag or you've gone for a bow hike, like, man, it, I I think that that, and just being present in that moment and that process of getting there, um, is so important. I think a lot of folks like miss out on that.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I, I definitely did quite a bit of bow hiking this season and then I kind of, I kind of found, finally found my spot, you know, it's, it, you know, I don't, I, I'm hunting in Montana and I don't exactly, uh, get out there <laughs> all the time to scout, you know? right, right. And so, you know, people talk about that, you know, you don't, if you're not able to get out to scout earlier in the year, mm-hmm. you're going to spend your first week, week or two of hunting scouting, you know, you're going to, or I, I'd yeah. say like the first, you know, third to half of your time out in the, out in the woods scouting. And for me that, you know, yeah. that was a couple of weeks for sure. And, um, but once I finally started getting into elk, you know, you can start making those mistakes. You can start actually having those exciting moments. But, uh, so tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about, uh, about your hunt, man. And, and some of the stuff you kind of, you kind of learned that you feel was like critical to, uh, to your success.
1: Yeah, you bet. So, so to to first preface all of this like season, I think it's really important to note that I lived about 45 minutes to an hour from the uh, mountains where I ended up shooting my elk. Um, I think that gives a person an extreme advantage because I was out there everywhere. I worked it out with my boss, you know, he's kind of into this stuff. (laughs) and, uh, and was able to take Wednesdays, either Wednesday mornings or Wednesday evenings and scout. Um, it was Wednesdays, uh, from June up until hunting season. Um, so when you've put that much time in the woods prior to even stepping into that area, you know, where elk are going to be because you just, you figured out where they like to feed, where they like to bed, like where the populations of elk live in this mountain range. And for someone who maybe doesn't live exactly where there's a bunch of elk, um, what that would look like is just, you know, being in the same hunting unit, same couple units, same couple mountain ranges, year in and year out, trying to figure that part out. It's just kind of all that process. So I'd put in like, you know, prior to this season, I'd put in, you know, two seasons worth of days in the woods just because i live so dang close and and really like that made a huge difference you know and like you're saying you're on on season three um have you been in different spots each year
2: and yeah see that's the huge huge thing i've kind of especially realized this or i should say i've always known it but it really hit home this year the benefits of hunting the same area year after year even week after week because you you learn that you know the shortcuts you know how to get around you know where the elk generally are going to be where they like to feed and it's it was amazing like it just it's one of those things you hear all the time but until you really experience it and see and can
1: see the benefits of it it really doesn't hit home for you you know Oh, exactly. Well, and so a good example of that is I had this one glassing spot. It was, it was actually in the alpine. It was um, above 11,000 feet um, where I could get up on some big, like rocky knobs and uh, glass kind of some into some basins. And so when I was doing that, thinking about timing of the elk season itself, um, I was able to identify like, okay, these are the basins where elk are consistently um, coming up and feeding in the morning or feeding at night and then coming back down into the timber in the morning or, uh, yeah, in the morning, uh, then bedding in the timber. So once I'd kind of had that pattern figured out, I was able to go in there, um, and actually come in through the bottom, which it was three. It, yeah. It was three miles either direction, whether you came in from the top or the bottom, you had to go three miles to where these elk were feeding. And it was able, I was able to kind of put together a game plan based on where that consistent wind was, um, from being up there multiple mornings and, and nights, um, in the summer. And then also know what kind of pinch points those elk use and like what little, um, gullies and basins they were in consistently. So, you know, when you're looking at going back to that same area that you are in maybe this year, I bet you, you know, exactly kind of those travel corridors and those paths where those elk are going to be. Um, and then you're kind of able to make adjustments um, based on what you're finding because the funny thing about that was so I either went super high to scout or I went super low to scout so I was either at the top of the mountain or I was on the border of private and uh, on the border of private you're able to glass into some of those hay meadows and some of those fields and see where elk are using that vegetation and then going back upwards it's kind of the reverse Um, but then again, you're able to, you know, with that time in the field, you're able to uh, analyze like, where's that wind coming from? Where's it going? When's it switching? And then you can make a game plan surrounding like those external factors. Um, and you know, a lot of times those external factors are like things that you can only find from being there. Um, there's only so much that you can like, um, guess or pontificate on regarding like wind and, and animal behavior on Google earth on X, you know? so that ended up being that ended up being like i'm gonna be honest that was like uh that was a little bit the ringer right like (laughs) like being being so good uh, being so knowledgeable of that country because then man once once you have that nailed down um you could then kind of replay that game plan all around the mountain or in my case i did i ended up elk hunting in three different mountain ranges this year just kind of trying to figure out where the honey holes were and then um so like you're saying, that early part, I was bouncing around all over the place, all over the place, all over the place. And then towards the end of the season, it would get narrower and narrower and narrower. And I'd know where those populations of elk were, were located and able to kind of move in quickly. And um and like I could uh here's here's a really sad story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so as I was driving around at night in a different mountain range uh, than the one I kind of had scouted, my home range, I was in a, a one range over, driving around looking for bugles at night. So um, this is the tactic that I think folks should really implement if they're just not in elk. I drive around at night. I'm viewing off these steep banks and these steep ridges down into the, the deep, dark canyons and trying to get something to respond back. We're talking midnight, 1 a.m., like you're going to take a nap the next day after these kinds of, mm-hmm. these kinds of excursions. Uh, my truck breaks down and I'm 60 miles from town. So long story short, it blows up and I'm truckless. Um, and I have my girlfriend at the time drop me off back in the home range the next weekend. And I had to drop me off in this area where, uh, there, I knew there was a bunch of elk. Um, and I just had to get them talking. Uh, it's real thick, you can't really glass. They'd actually moved down out of that alpine country. And uh, which was really interesting to see because at some level that when you're scouting up high, you got to understand what's gonna happen as the season progresses. Um I got in there and uh and I called this bull in and he was just on the string. Um and I remembered like, okay, get the wind so that it's you are parallel to where the bull's coming from. The wind is moving up and down. The bulls coming across the hill left to right. This is perfect. He is just fired up. He is screaming his face off. And I don't have to do anything. So I get drawn back. I see the Hitlers coming through the trees. I'm like, all right, well, like this is day 16 or 17 of the season. It's gonna happen here. Uh I pulled her back. He was close enough. I was like, there's no way I need the range of this one. Like he's tight. And I let her rip, Tater Chip and uh you know started counting my blessings i was like oh there he is there's the elk it was a good herd bull and i walk up to my arrow and it is snapped off at the insert of the broadhead uh-huh. and i was like oh no so a 23 yard shot straight to the shoulder blade um, was just one of many many like disappointments on the season um, it was insult to injury because I was, uh, you know, I was up there without my own vehicle as well. Like I was like, okay, I just got to keep hunting, keep hunting. Like I-, I can fix this. I can deal with life after September. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and man, that was just like oh, demoralizing. Um, so, I mean, that was, that was one of, um, when I was telling you five misses on the season. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was a struggle, man. It's just one of those things where, where, where you look at that and you're like, there's, there's no way that you look at that and aren't a little bit disappointed. You know, you're just like, I just, but you're almost in so much disbelief that you're like, what am I going to do? Like, you just got to keep getting after it because you have no really other options. I mean you say, man, I'm going to go back in time and make that one go true. You know, you can't. So <laughs> you just keep, uh, you know, I always joke uh, to Cody because it's, it's overplayed, but I'm just, I just keep hammering, man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Cam campaigns. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, it, you know, it's funny. You, you look back at your season and, you know, you think about those opportunities where, you screwed up or you did something wrong or, you know, all of the shoulda, coulda, woulda opportunities. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it's tough sometimes when you are, you know, whether it's your fifth miss or it's, you know, the, the 10th time you've come around a corner and just spooked a, a, a little bachelor herd that you just never expected to be there mm-hmm. or, you know, the, who knows you know or that that 10th time that uh you get pinned down by an elk and the wind's wrong and he's staring right at you and you can't move and you just can't get get in on him like these things happen and it gets it's it's tough and you you, it's really hard sometimes not to look at that like especially when you know you've been unsuccessful for weeks for multiple weeks you look at that and you're like well that was my that was my last chance ever. Like that's oh, it's Over yeah. not, in that mindset. Like, oh, there it goes. I'm never yeah. I'm never gonna see another another elk. I'm screwed. You know, might as well just go home yeah. and give up. Like
1: it's yeah. it is tough not to do that. Yeah, I remember once that happened. I remember texting Cody, being like, uh, you know, after that happened, I looked at that and I was like, you know, I had the experience at that point that i like that most guys look for. You call in a bull elk screaming you get a shot at 23 yards and like the only thing I was missing was the dead elk right at that point. Um, And I call him and I'm like, you know, I feel like it'd be real easy um, for me to uh, throw in the towel on this one for a whole host of excuses. And he said, yeah, but you're not going to because I won't let you live it down. I was like, all right, you're right. So uh, you know, and I think a large part of that mindset like, like is super effective to implement in your everyday life as well. Um, so that next weekend, I uh, I borrowed a buddy's Forerunner, like a 98 Forerunner. It was his spare rig for getting around the mountains, and he had schoolwork to do. So um, he, yeah, I mean, by the goodness of his heart, he was like, Yeah, dude, just go mob around. Don't go down, you know, X, Y, or Z road because those <laughs> he's like, I I do want my Forerunner back, and I know you're the deal. so so i was like okay fine like i totally understand i was just appreciative of being able to get to the mountains and um on sunday the so uh, in wyoming the season ended on monday the 30th of september for archery on sunday was my last day because i got to go work on monday and uh, I kind of looked at this zone. Um, it's actually the the border of private. What I was talking talking to you about that I kind of scouted, and, and I knew that the elk weren't in the alpine anymore because they bumped down. Um, and I'm like, well, there can't be fewer elk down in the bottom, you know? Um, so I just kind of looked at this this set of drainages. Um, there's half dozen or so that were all lined up, and I was like, okay, I've gone down each of these fingers one time at least. Why don't I just go to the border of private and run them all at once? So uh, I dove down in there. It was actually a similar kind of situation that I encountered a bull in. And I was like, this is going to be it right here. I rip off a bugle, nothing. And then I go to the next drainage, rip off a bugle, nothing. And I go to the next drainage. And then I realize, like, oh, it kind of opens up a little bit. I'm like, oh, 40 mile an hour wind gust down here. Yeah, that's why nothing's bugling. Like they can't hear me. So, like in typical fashion, and then this is like I want to make sure I give Cody enough credit for like really coaching me through this because I think it would been easy to me for me to be like, yeah, it's just like too many things and is obstacles, right? Like it's not gonna happen. But I says, all right, Cody, like, what do you do when you have forty mile an hour winds and your main tactic in this thick country is um, bugling at bulls? He says don't be in the country. I was like, all right. (laughs) So so he's like, go glass. And uh, I come up, (laughs) I go up to this high point where I can see out um, to some BLM property that I knew that there had been some elk on, but I was like, this is kind of my Hail Mary. And uh, sure enough, an hour before daylight, two bulls are out there in the, in the clearing. I'm like, no way. So I pull out Onyx and I'm doing my little map, my little map distance 2.5 miles an hour left (laughs) I was like oh oh boy so uh there's actually an old skid road there's none of this is accessible via like vehicles but um there's it's old logging road and kind of comes up from the private where they used to log coming from the bottom uh and I was like okay I get on that road I'm going to start jogging and maybe I can get there so as I'm jogging, just like on a treadmill, just moving as fast as I can. <laughs> um, something clicks as I come around a corner and I go like, there's no wind here. Why is there no wind here? Uh, like kind of like looking around. I'm like, it's just like this little pocket that's back uh, along the creek bed and like kind of goes up in a drainage. And I was like, well, I'm not going to run the, the last mile and a half if I don't have to. So uh, I'll bugle into this drainage, but probably going to have to keep running. So I let rip a rib tape chip to the old Phelps locator call and I got a response right below me. It was like, like 500 yards below me. I'm like, Oh, thank goodness. I don't have to run the last half mile or <laughs> mile and a half. Uh, uh, uh. So, so I dive down in there and I'm doing, so I kind of, you run through your checklist, right? You have your, you have like, I'm going to challenge bugle. See if he comes in, I go do that. I get no response. Okay, fine. I'm going to sound like a herd of elk because you know they'll be interested in the cows and like what's going on with this commotion, and then you know maybe they'll come in even though um, there's a bull tending to them. So I do that. No dice. I'm running out of time. Then I go. You know, earlier in the season, I was in that high alpine, and I had cow called for a bit, and this calf started like like in the timber <laughs> and i called called to it back and it literally ran up and like wanted in my backpack it was just like it was just like <laughs> wanted to go home with me and i was like maybe i can make that like hyperactive like cast sound and it'll be interested you know mm-hmm. like what else do i have to lose and i do that <laughs> as i'm like walking pretty creepily through this like aspen patch and uh Sure enough, there's some raghorns standing there looking at me. I'm like, huh? Well, they're probably gone. Like, they've seen me now. Yeah. And they kind of turn to leave. And I cow call, yeah, yeah, right at them again. And they stop and they like, kind of take a couple steps forward. I'm like, no, no way. They're like 70, 80 yards at the time. And, uh, and so then they turn to leave again because they don't see a calf there. And they go up on top of this rise and I sprint to the top of the rise, mm. right on the other side, there's a bull standing there looking at me. He stood long enough for me to get a range and, uh, and I let her rip man. The rest is history.
0: <laughs> Hell yeah. So
1: it and was then the wor- Then the work last. had to start. <laughs> well, there's more to it, I guess. So I, uh, you know, you hear, you, you see guys do this on TV all the time or on YouTube or whatever. Uh, where you shoot something and then you're like, you know what, it looked a little far back or whatever, like it looked good, but I'm gonna let it sit overnight. I'd never done that. Um, keep in mind the next day is supposed to be work day. Um, probably not gonna have anybody to help me pack out, but uh, I was like, you know what, I think I've made it this far, I think my boss will forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, so I hike out of there at that point I'd gone 11 and a half miles on the day and it was dark. Um, and it was seven and a half miles back to the track. Oh, so, so that was a big one. Um, I, you can joke. I went, I went full send on that one. Um, because it was bottom of the ninth and it was just like, this is going to happen. Oh, it's not going to. Um, so then I grabbed this, the kid who loaned me the forerunner skipped school the next day. Um, this is a, really a sales pitch for having good friends. <laughs> so he comes down there and, uh, sure enough, we find, we find the, where the beds bedded up or the bull bedded up that night. Um, find a couple drops of blood and, uh, long story short track, track that bull down. So, uh, it was the most intense 24 hours of elk hunting I've ever had, oh, including the, the four or five misses I'd had up to that point. You know, it's just like some days it comes together and there's no rhyme or reason. Um, but I think that's also what you get when you, like, when you don't go home, you
2: know? Yeah. See, man, I don't know if I've got that. Like, that's the one thing I just don't know. It is, is waiting on a bowl, man. Like, I just don't know if I could do it. Like, or like after I shot something, like, uh uh-huh. oh man, it's like, I read, oh, just the thought like all that would be going through my head would be is I'm never going to pick it up again. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm never going to find the blood again. I'm, you know, if it's dead, the coyotes are going to get to it or a bear's going to get to it. I'm never going to find it or see it. Uh, some, some other hunters going to find it and like chop off the head and take me like (laughs) that's literally, I would be, I would be so paranoid. I don't think I would even, I don't know what I'd do. It took a lot of
1: faith it took a lot of faith just like in that as a process, you know? Um, And that's one of the things I think I I realized about the whole season in general is like, you got to put a lot of faith in the process. You know, that's I actually uh, started doing mountain tough workouts. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with those.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Actually. uh, I think you, did you post something today? Something for your Instagram (laughs) profile just popped up about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I did like a testimonial thing for those guys just because, um, uh, you know, I like to give credit where credit's due. And I lost 20 pounds since February um, by kind of getting after it with their workouts. Uh, I don't think an 18 and a half mile. Uh, day would have been in the cards had it not been for <laughs> that level of physical fitness you know it's just it's it's uh it was a game changer for me um from a from a foundational standpoint uh it also ch- it makes a huge difference when it comes to mental um preparedness and like are you ready to like go through this suffer fest of like i have seven and a half miles in the dark by myself to walk back Uh, granted i'm not in grizz country and i'm not in wolf country it still is not fun you know yeah um so yeah i mean and that was that was all man there's a ton of factors that went into it but uh, um, trusting in that process and trusting in the fact that that bull would be laying there was not was not easy (laughs) for sure
2: (laughs) yeah it's i think one of the things about i mean hunting in general but especially elk hunting is like you said it is trusting the process um mm-hmm. and but so much of that comes that realization comes from those times when you don't trust the process and you don't fill a tag because of that yep. and something along the lines of like yeah uh you know i am not sure i'd be able to sit and let that bowl sit overnight and make sure it's you know make sure I don't bump it until I finally get a shot on a bowl and I go to you know I just immediately start chasing after it, and I bump it twice and never find it again, you know like i yeah it's like until maybe I do that, and then the second I do that suddenly my uh <laughs> my faith in the process gets a little bit greater, and i'm
1: yeah. not so much of a dumbass but <laughs> I <laughs> mean, I think it, I think it goes for everything though. Like, like, and I guess that's what I was trying to say as far as mountain tough goes, if you're looking at your physical fitness or your health or nutrition or whatever, you have to kind of trust that like, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to see this change even in a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple months. Like it's going to just one day you're going to realize, huh, there it is. Um, I think about that when I uh, think about uh, whitetail hunters or people who are sitting in tree stands or, sitting in blinds like man i would have a dang hard time not shooting something if i was just sitting in one place the whole time you have nothing in your control at that point except for the like variables you know your wind or your setup or whatever has happened for previously right you you have to trust like yeah that buck's going to come in today or that buck's going to come in tomorrow or that buck's going to come in before the end of the season um and i think about that with work too you know it's just enjoying the ride is 95 to 99% of the battle.
2: (laughs) I, uh, yeah, man, I just got back from a Missouri whitetail hunt, um, with some, some buddies of mine and, you know, we're sitting in tree stands and, um, I, you know, I'm still learning a lot about that. Like there's a lot of stuff you learned where like, you know, I had two tags. I had a, an, any, any deer tag. And then I had a doe tag. And I had some does come in and both times I could have, I could have plugged probably two does. And, but like, I didn't know, you know, I just didn't know all the different stuff. Like I didn't know that like I could probably have shot one of those does and just let it lay there and a buck would have absolutely come in. Yeah. And kept hunting. Like, I just didn't know that stuff. I didn't know the process to Mm -hmm. trust in, but it was tough because I'm like sitting there and I'm like passing on these does mostly just because I also thought I had an extra day of hunting and I did not. Uh, Cause I, I got <laughs> days confused. Um, that was, that was unfortunate. I probably would have plugged them if I'd realized that anyway, I digress, but um, yeah. you know, that was tough. Cause the whole time I'm sitting there, you know, your mind starts going, what if, what if, what if, and you know, it's that mix of like, I'm definitely a firm believer in don't pass on the first day, what you gladly take on the last. But then, right. you know, also, uh, you know, there's there's certain things like you bought a you paid money for a tag and you want to do every effort to fill it with, you know, whatever you'll be happiest with. And, you know, I kind of went out on this hunt with like, yeah, I wanted to bring home some meat like I, I was in meat crisis, but a buddy had already tagged a bowl and I was going to take that meat home because he was just going to donate it. So I figured I'm like, OK, worst case situation I don't tag anything I still get to take the meat home so I wasn't wasn't as concerned but yeah it's that patience is is a big struggle of mine like I struggle with just not doing stuff on a hunt like oh, I don't yeah. like I don't like waiting I don't like glassing uh gla- I I shouldn't say I don't like glassing, I'm just really bad at it cuz I feel like I need to be doing something <laughs> and it doesn't feel yeah. like I'm doing anything at all. Like it kills me. Yeah.
1: But I uh, I, I so as a re- as a Wyoming resident, I went into the wilderness with Lampers. Um Ryan Lampers at Stealthy Hunter. Um he is an incredible glasser. Like he just he just is an incredible like he's got good eyes. And insane amounts of patience. We spent an entire day trying to see, like, we heard this bull bugle from a small timber patch, and we spent an entire day waiting for that bull to step out. Like, that's all we did for that day. And, uh, you know, there's something about, there's something about once you're at that level of experience, he just knows whether or not we kill something today it doesn't affect whether you kill something tomorrow. Uh, and I heard actually on your most, uh, on your recap podcast, uh, of your hunt in Montana that you had taken some days to like just glass or just figure out the country and understand that, that, that recon, that intel that you're gathering is going to pay off like huge dividends in the end. Um, and folks oftentimes will walk out in the woods thinking that that day is the day it's going to happen. You know, I'm going to get lucky today. And when you start looking at variables that you can take out of there and start looking at things that you can really control, I think, um, from a larger perspective, it makes folks way more effective. Uh, that's really, and you look at guys like your Brian Barneys, your, your Cody Riches and and your Ryan Lampers, man, there's nothing that they're doing on a daily basis that is forcing the luck hand. They're always doing something to set up the next chess move that is going to set up a win.
2: It's, I mean, you know, talk about, talk about some killers right there. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. It's like the example that those guys set with their patients and, and, and everything. It amazes me. Like I just, I was thinking about that during my season this year, just, I was thinking about just like some random uh, little videos Cody, you know, shares during his seasons uh, on his Instagram and stuff. And I just sit and I think about kind of what the, a lot of those videos represent uh, in the whole of their hunt and yeah. like when they're talking about these things and, and you kind of realize you're like, man, he's passing on that. He's sitting there. He's talking about well, he's waiting for this thing. And I'm just like, I am not even close to that level of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, like, I, sure. I can't, can't wait till I'm there. I can't wait until like, it, it almost sounds kind of odd. Like it, this, the word doesn't feel right, but it's for lack of a better term, it's almost like, you know, you have to get over that little desperation to fill a tag. Um, right. Right. And, and it, it makes filling
1: a tag way easier.
2: Oh yeah. you know, And I, I feel like, you know, everybody talks about like that kind of stages of being a hunter, you know, where you go through and you're like, you know, I just want to kill anything, anything at all. I'll take whatever I can get as soon as I possibly can kill it. And you know, and you then you know, you kind of progress to be more selective and and all this, and you just move through kind of this whole process and um and I, I don't like using the word desperation because it's not quite accurate, but it's like a there's definitely like this need, this this pulsing, urgent need to fill a tag. Um, just to feel like you've accomplished something. And after you've done that so many times, you realize that's not necessarily the huge accomplishment, you know? Um, I think it's really
1: important, just like you're saying, like that desperation to like, fill a tag. I didn't, Um, uh, I, well, I filled an antelope tag in 2018. Um, and that was great. That was fine and dandy. But I had, a, I ate an Idaho elk tag and I ate a Nebraska mule deer tag and I ate a, Wyoming whitetail doe tag, um and I walked away from that season going like, man, I feel like I suck, you know, <laughs> but oftentimes, oftentimes, what I think we do is put pressure just like you're talking about with your Missouri hunt. You put pressure on yourself because you've spent time, money, and resources to make a hunt happen, even though the outcome is um it's still like in a lot of ways secondary you I was thinking about this, or I was talking about it with a friend of mine, Jess, the other day, and we were talking about how we want to go, or, you know, travel different places, right? If we're going, if I'm going to go to Turkey, I'm not going to go to Turkey because uh, I want to necessarily kill something in Turkey, though I don't know if they have hunting there. Though, if I go to Mongolia, you know, I really do want to do some um, argali hunting, something like mm-hmm. that. Um, I think about hunting in general as the Turkey trip, Turkey as in the country with Istanbul. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not Turkey hunting. Um, I think of hunting in that perspective as it's an experience that you're, that you're buying. It's an experience that you're going to go have. Uh, it is way cheaper to fill the freezer with meat from the heck it's, it's easier to chill, fill the freezer from meat from your local butcher than it is to go out and, uh, and try to acquire this you know via hunting so uh once you kind of have that mindset of like okay it's not necessarily all about the meat even though gosh it's really good um you can settle in and have those experiences that we were kind of talking about and um i bet you you had a great time watching those does in missouri man like I, I, it was, that sounds really cool to me
2: i mean and it was it was awesome just chilling in the tree stand and they walked up kind of right behind me and they were literally like, they knew something was up there, but they didn't, they weren't spooked by me. Cause I mean, I was, I was stock still, but you know, they came up and they were sniffing at the ladder, the tree, it was a metal ladder stand. Yeah. So they're like sniffing yeah. at the ladder and they'll like sniff at the ladder a little bit and they'll look right up at me and they'll just sit and stare at me for a while. And I'm looking back down at them just watching them. And it, you know, it's a cool thing. Like anytime it, you know, it doesn't matter how many big bucks I see, how many elk I see, I still, you know, I'm driving through town and I still just about slam on my brakes and pull to the side of the road every time I see a little group of blacktail or mule deer does, yep. teeny little yearlings just on the side of the road. You know, I, yep. I, pulled, out, I pulled into the driveway the other day and I almost ran over a doe in our own driveway and <laughs> That's awesome. just pulled over and I just sat and watched it for like 20 minutes before getting out of the car and, you know, yeah. Like it doesn't matter how much you see; it's just so cool to experience and see wildlife and and all of that. But uh, still, doesn't mean I don't want a really big ass elk. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, right. Well, it comes back to just like what goal setting means, and and you know, gosh, I, I played some sports in high school. Um, I always set kind of financial goals or whatever the ca- career goals. Um, the thing about goals, though, is like you're if you if you hit all of them like you're probably not setting good enough goals. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. if you're if you're knocking them off the list left and right you, you probably should consider doing something a little harder. Um and that is kind of a way in my perspective is that's a great way to grow. Uh and when you're stepping into the elk woods for instance uh every time that you were, you're were talking about this earlier like every time you've gone out there you've learned something a little different. Um you've picked up more information about animal behavior you picked up more knowledge about where they'll be next time or what not to do on that bow hike you know um that that i think is where the true gem lies when you're starting to hit your goals um honestly like move the goalpost it's
2: i feel like it's having i guess levels of goals is important too because like yeah. you want you want those goals that you're like that you know you'll hit that you'll be happy with and you can look at that mm-hmm. you can say, yeah, I had a successful trip. But then like you said, you have you want those goals too that are are bigger than that immediate trip. The ones that are going to push you that yeah. you're you're gonna strive for. And uh knowing have have the difference. Knowing that you're
1: pro- yeah. You have yeah. to have some way of knowing you're progressing. Cause like mm-hmm. if you're you know if you're not progressing at all, gosh it can be it can be a grind, man. But at the end of the day, you know, whether it's a career goal or financial aspirations, it would be, uh, if my goal was to make $10 an hour, I probably should move that goal. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, so if you had to kind of distill it down uh, to maybe three or a few things yeah. that that you would say were the, like the most critical things that took you from five years of frustration and unfilled tags mm-hmm. to this first year of success, filling your tag with your bow. Um, what would you say are maybe three of the, the critical things we already talked about hunt in the same area?
1: Yep. So what that I think really translates to is, is time in woods and time in the same woods. So the fact that I put so much time in between June and uh, September um, really for a lot of folks could just mean man, figure out an, an area, go to some place that you can learn it year after year, um, take some summer trips to go out there, go boating on the nearby lake or whatever, you know, just like make that your, your home area and, and put that time in the woods. That's number one, time in the woods. The second thing was persistence. Uh, there are a lot of, there are a lot of factors that, like I was saying earlier, uh, I told Cody, man, it'd be really easy to quit right now. Um, in order to reach that goal, you know, I, man, it wouldn't have happened if I said, dang it, I've got a day left of season. I'm just going to go for a mile hike today. Uh, instead I was like, it's bottom of the ninth. You got to send it or, or you're going to regret it. Um, a couple years ago, this is tangential, but I think it's important. A couple years ago, uh, a big snowstorm hit in 2017 during the middle of elk season. Uh, the place I was in, the elk were going off. They were they were fired up and uh, just very inexperienced. Still, I still am inexperienced, but uh, at that point, you know, I didn't really know what kind of a play to make when they're bugling, um, how to really call them in, and I went up into the high country and found some elk glass, uh, these bowl, this bull up with a herd. And I moved in, uh, within probably a quarter of a mile. And then he started moving his herd away and you've got about 10, 12 inches of snow on the ground. Um, it's three or four miles from the truck, 2000 vertical feet up. And you start looking at that truck down bottom of the at the bottom of the drainage, going like, "Ah, uh, that's a long ways back, and I don't have any food." <laughs> and you know, this elk, I've got, I've always got tomorrow. You know, I turned around at like two p.m. It doesn't get dark till like seven, oh. and I turned around at like two p.m. because I was just like, "Yeah, I'm a little tired, um, my legs are sore. Um, this elk is is you know, he's faster than me. I'm not going to get him." Um, after that trip, I, I clearly didn't shoot a bowl that, that year, after that trip, I swore to myself, like, I'm never going to walk away from another elk hunt thinking I left something on the table. Uh, and that's kind of what I did this year. Um, if I, and you know, Cody helped that a lot and, you know, having good support systems is important because if, especially when you've got yourself, you're holding yourself accountable and you've got people holding you accountable, uh, it makes being persistent much much easier. Uh, mm. So that was that was number two.
2: I'll tell you the the one thing that I struggled with telling myself, like in that uh-huh. same kind of kind of vein, I'd look at something, and sometimes I I had to like I had to do a lot of self talk because I'd look at that I'd be like, <sighs> I'm probably just gonna go screw it up anyway. So why am I gonna kill myself to? <laughs> Go over there. Yep. Like it was, yep. it was so bad. I'm like, I'm like, uh, well, that, that situation's too complex for me to be successful. So why am I going to chase that? And that was a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, I definitely had that same situation where I'm just like, I'm tired, I'm done, I'm checked out, I'm heading back to the car. But, right. But yeah. I struggled, you know, I struggled with that.
1: Oh, and it's just like you're saying, like, you got to have, you you have to have some sort of mantra to fall back on or like some sort of motivating factor that that you've you know given yourself. Cause um I know a lot of folks out there who my dad is one of these guys. He's out kind of a long time, but we'll tell you like, you know, um luck wasn't on my side this year. And um here's the third point for you. Uh luck in in the limited experience I have luck seems to be the intersection of hard work and opportunity. Uh, I had six opportunities on elk this year. And obviously the sixth one was the one that panned out. Uh, The other things, and you listen to Cody Rich's podcast about his elk that he shot this year. He was literally asleep in a meadow and this elk came bugling into his face and uh, woke him up from his beautiful sunny slumber. And he wakes up and shoots a 320 bowl, almost 330 bowl. And uh again, you can look at that and go, man, that dude was lucky. Well, he was in the right place. He was in the right time. And when it came down to like the rubber meeting the road, he was the guy who could crawl over to his bowl, slip his release on without being detected, and put an arrow in that bowl without crapping the bed. Uh, so yeah, that's number three, man. Hard work and Opportunity equal luck.
2: I will. I will also, and you know, you listen to my recap podcast, and I mentioned that too. Mm -hmm. I will also say, though, the inverse is, you can do everything right, one hundred percent right. Yep. But it still does require a little bit of luck. uh, There's some opportunity that you gotta have fall in your lap. Yep. (laughs) I mean, it's just like you can you can do all the scouting, everything can be perfect, but one day you can just have the bad enough luck that a pack of coyotes happens to run through this day and scares the whole herd. Like with that, you are all 100% prepared to, you know, you never know. And, uh, I mean, it's definitely luck. Luck has to present itself, but you have to be prepared to take advantage of it and you have to put in that hard work and be the right person to take advantage of that, that luck.
1: But ever since we've talked about this two hundred one series with Cody, I've started trying to call it opportunity. You know, you've got to like create yeah. opportunity. Oh yeah. It's just like, Oh man, those coyotes ran through the herd or son of a bitch. It's windy today. <laughs> you just got to keep, keep creating opportunities, you know? Yep. Um, no, it's good stuff. And, and really it's funny because, um, there's a ton of podcasts out there about what elk behavior looks like, what, what mule deer behavior looks like what it's like to shoot your bow what it's like to call all of these different like skills and tactics um but i think at the end of the day man you can read a lot of textbooks but applying but applying the math is where there ever meets the road
2: all right so um say somebody comes up to you uh you know, runs into you at an event or something and says, Hey man, you know, I saw how you were successful this year. That that's so freaking cool. You know, I've always wanted to I've always wanted to elk hunt, you know. Um, or I've always just wanted to get into hunting, into the backcountry, whatever it is. They're like, but I don't know, man. I don't know people to do it. I don't have any background in it. There's a lot to learn. It's kind of intimidating. I don't know if this is something I can do. Um Right. What what kind of encouragement or words of encouragement would you give that person uh, in a situation like
1: that? Uh, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. <laughs> oh, so they need to like that person, if they come up to me and says, you know, I have I want to get into this kind of hunting. I'm first gonna say, Okay, what pieces go into that? Where are you at? Where do you know? If you've never been camping before and you want to go backcountry hunting, Man, you probably ought to go on some some hiking trips. You know, you should (laughs) definitely start with one bite at a time. I think a lot of folks, like you're saying, will come into hunting or or fishing or backcountry skiing or whatever the endeavor is, and they go, "Man, I want to do that thing," and they point at the top, and they don't look at how many pieces make up that whole pie. Uh, A lot of a lot of times, I think goes back to that goal setting thing. What are what are these steps? What are the goals that you're going to have to set to get there and then just take them one at a time? (laughs) I don't think, for instance, I don't think it would have been a guaranteed success this year. If I didn't have any hunting experience and Cody gave me the same knowledge. Yeah. I would not have been anywhere close to where I was this year. Um, so something needs to be given to the fact that there's a process and, and you got to follow it. Um, which is oftentimes not necessarily that you know, folks oftentimes look for the the silver bullet it's <laughs> one bite at a time man
2: no doubt all right so if people wanted to find you online uh, where can they they follow the shenanigans
1: oh well we we do have some shenanigans to follow I'll be honest uh, <laughs> I, ever since I moved up to Montana uh, <laughs> Cody I've been doing a lot of snap of uh, Instagram and with Cody uh, so you can follow me if you'd like at at uh, at Jaden Bales. Um, You can follow the podcast at The Rich Outdoors, uh, which is Cody. Uh, And then you can also check out Backcountry Fuel if you'd like at Backcountry Fuel. Um, And those are kind of all the places you can find us. Uh, I'm pretty much on all of those running DMs on the back end of those Instagram (laughs) profiles. So you'll find me somewhere.
2: (laughs) Awesome, man. Well, thanks for hopping on.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And to keep up the awesome work of this podcast. I know you're inspiring a lot of folks. Thanks, man.
2: All right, y'all, that'll do it for episode 127 of The Wild Initiative. Make sure y'all check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com slash 127. Check out links to everything we talked about in today's episode. All right, y'all, that will do it for today. Looking forward to next week, but until next time, I hope this episode inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative
0: for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more.
2: you know, it's a cool thing. Like anytime it doesn't puberty hit for a second there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't,